Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in In Real Real Good Good Company. Company. (laughs) Caitlin, happy book launch day. Thank you so much. How do you feel? I feel pretty good. Yeah, I'm really, really excited for people, especially women, to read the book and hopefully get inspired. And there's a lot of uh, content that I think will make them laugh and cry and feel all the feelings and hopefully Mm -hmm. get some healing and freedom and feel some grace for themselves. Gosh, do you feel nervous at all? Like putting... Exposing yourself. Definitely. So next week, our podcast, you're going to interview me and we're going to talk about... I cannot wait. The behind the scenes of writing a book. How do you get a book deal? The process of writing a book. Because I know there are a lot of people out there that want to write a book. And then also just kind of behind the scenes stories, just kind of diving in deeper, going into more kind of like exclusive content about stories in the book, more depth to share with our real good company audience. But today we are not talking about that. (laughs) We are talking about our very special guest, Jason Jaggard. And you'll have to wait for next week to talk about all things book, even though now my book is available today, May 12th. And you can order it and get it straight to your door. Amen, sister. So, so thrilled to have Jason on the podcast. This is one of my absolute favorite interviews. I feel like I say that all the time, but this one was really Oh, gosh, this one was so fun. We did this a few months ago. So there's a number of references to Caitlin seeing Frozen 2 with her son, Brave. And you'll get a few a few little Caitlin jingles in the middle of the episode. Yeah, I serenade you all Frozen 2 style. <laughs> but yeah, Jason is somebody that he's one of my favorite humans on the planet. He's one of the wisest people I've ever met. And actually a few years ago, we had him come to our Giving Keys office and did all this kind of like leadership coaching for our leadership team. And everybody was jaw dropped and so impressed Mm. with him. And yeah, the way he is such a genius when it comes to anything Enneagram, anything leadership, anything in that realm. So I'm very, very excited for our listeners to hear it. Yeah, Jason is a coach and founder of Novus Global. And I... I just can't get over not only how wise he is, but the way that he frames and communicates things. And there are a number of things that he says in this interview that have actually really stuck with me for ever since. And that I think about often one of them, probably the the one that struck me most deeply was was when he said, do something worth doing, even if you fail. And I think about that all the time when we're taking big risks and in this current environment where everything feels so shaky and uncertain and the future feels unpredictable to to think about devoting our ourselves and our lives and our work to things that that matter so much that even if we fail at doing them, just the process of doing it was still worthwhile. Yeah, I love that. He actually coached me for a season of time. And one of my favorite little nuggets that always stuck with me was I was I was telling him, him about how it was hard for me to kind of manage the things that I used to do all by myself when I started the Giving Keys. And, you know, you do every single thing Mm. when you first start. 
Um, and then you have to start delegating and, you know, things were not done the way that I would have liked. And that was, you know, and it, and it, and that has been, you know, was, was difficult at the time. And at the time he said something along the lines of, would you rather something be perfect exactly how you want it? Or would you rather be happy? Oof. I was like, oof. Oh God. Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. B. Yeah. He's just truth bombs left and right. That man. So stay tuned for a bunch of truth bombs. Let your mind be blown by Mr. Jason Jaggard. Do you want to build a snowman? That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, I just watched Frozen 2 uh, with my son on a date with his three-year-old girlfriend. And we're about to have this very serious podcast about leadership. But all I can do is sing this song. So, But this is already, I mean, it's a great lead-in because this is already one of our all-time favorite favorite interviews we have ever done or ever will do. Yeah. And we haven't started yet, but we just have a good feeling about it. You know why? Because we are eating gluten-free effing pizza with soy cheese. They kind of taste like nothing. It does but... taste like nothing. So I'm sorry. And you're welcome all at the same time. I'm, I'm sorry because it's not great, but you're welcome because it's really not that bad for you. But more specifically on the content, Jason has already kind of schooled us just in, I just met him for the first time. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes ago. It was great. It was magical. It was magical. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've already learned so much. Yeah. (laughs) Jason Jason came to the Giving Keys. We had a little like leadership seminar meeting. We did like a little thing. thing where he kind of, we did strength finders and there was somebody that was kind of, that was hired to teach all of our leaders what their strengths were and what all of them meant. But then Jason started talking as like a favor to his friend. And Jason kind of took over and and was like, well, actually, da, 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 da. and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you see into my soul. You're right. <laughs> and and ever since then, I was like, I'm obsessed with you. You're so smart. Can we be friends and hang out all the time? And yeah, teach me everything. And that's how Caitlin's always talked him up is is I'm obsessed with him. I love everything he says. So this is going to be a great interview and probably go two and a half hours. It's going to be great. And by the way, a confession. I have never seen Frozen. No. No. Okay. Well, we know what Jason's going to be doing tomorrow night. We know what he's probably <laughs> not going to be doing tomorrow night. Okay. So, Jason, tell us who you are and what you do. Gosh, who am I? Who are you? That is such an existential question. Oh, that's we go deep on this show. Just. But really, seriously, like, what is your job title and what do you do? What <laughs> okay, is your great. job? So you don't. Great. So my job is. Um. So I'm the CEO of an executive coaching firm. And sometimes people say, is that like life coaching? And no, it's not like life coaching. But uh, why not? Oh, probably it's a little bit semantics, probably. I mean, some people are really proud of that title. I've never been a fan of it just because the life coaching industry is so wild westy right now. And so like every person who picks me up from the airport via Uber is like a life coach. <laughs> and and I, I've actually I've said that line a few times and it's kind of you both laugh. And I feel like it's a little dickish towards people who like work really hard. Uh, Hashtag dickish. <laughs> right. So I probably should find a better way of talking about and those people, are, I'm sure, are great life coaches or whatever. But so generally speaking, this is an oversimplification, and I think it's probably a little unfair, but life coaches are good at helping you f- 
figure out what you want and how to get it. And oftentimes the things that a life coach will help you go get are promotion or uh, lose some weight or figure out a date night with your spouse or whatever. What we do is more like a wholesale like renovation of who you are. So uh, what we love to do for individuals and companies is to hold a space for them to explore what they're capable of, which is for us a lot deeper and more profound than what do you want? So like kind of like, do you want to build a snowman? That's that's exactly yes, yeah. Like if you want to build a snowman, I think that's going to happen a lot during this so interview. Think, so let's play with that, right? So let's so we, you know, so if someone if whatever character sings that in the movie that I haven't seen says, "Hey, I want you to help me build a snowman," I would say, "Well, like, is that what you're capable of?" Got it. Because a life coach is going to help them build a snowman. Mm-hmm. What we do is we're going to hold a space for that person to explore what they're capable of in their snowmaking capacities. Yeah. You're welcome. We're done. <laughs> the, Check. The end. You're welcome. Bye. Oh, is that okay, it? Is that no. it? Yeah. Interview over. Yeah, because most people want things that the wrong way to say it is most people want things that are beneath them. Mm. And so not that there's a Ooh, you know, I like that. Not yeah, that there's anything too. wrong with that, uh, which is always fun when you can quote Seinfeld and Frozen in the same 30 second <laughs> window there. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not gonna be necessarily gratifying. It's not gonna getting what you want is one of the worst things that can happen to you in terms sometimes in terms of Ooh. living a fulfilling life. What does that mean for you when you think about what you want in your own life? Yeah. So then the game is how can you reorient your appetites towards fulfillment rather than satiation? And so we we might make a distinction between those two things. Satiation is just like that quick hit when you finally get what you want versus fulfillment is a little bit deeper than that and comes more from the pursuit than from the acquisition. So my clients are incredible. They're so, so talented. They're way smarter than I am, way more talented than I am. I, I love working with them. And with this guy, he runs a PR firm out of uh, Michigan and he's got offices in Detroit, New York. They just opened a new office in Phoenix or not open. They did an acquisition, but and we were having a conversation about these types of goals that he's setting. And, and I said, look, man, like there are some things that aren't worth doing, even if you're successful, right? So some things just aren't worth going after period. And there are other things that are only worth doing if you're successful, which is what most people go after. Most people choose goals that are only worth doing if they work. And what we try to invite people into is going after something that's worth going after, whether you're successful or not. There's a kind of asymmetry to it that makes it fulfilling. The fulfillment isn't based on success. Mm -hmm. And as an example, probably the easiest example is love, right? Love is hopefully something that's worth going after, whether you win or not. Like I'm, I'm divorced and people would say, Hey, did you, you regret getting married or whatever? And it's like, that's ridiculous. That's why would I ever regret choosing to love somebody? Um, just because it didn't work out the way that, that probably at one time, both of us hoped that it would, doesn't mean that that wasn't something that made me a better person or forged me in some way, or I can leverage in order to serve other people in some meaningful way. And that's what I tried. So in answer to your question, I try to set all the things up that I'm going after in life as things that are worth going after, even if I just totally colossally fail, like it's kind of those, I'm going to do X uh, or die trying. And the die trying sounds just as interesting as accomplishing X. Thanks for sharing that. Because I think that's something that really resonates and I'll probably take with me. Because I think it's, our culture sets everything up so much as it's worthwhile if you, if you win. If you win at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I don't think that that's, that's not the marrow of life, you know? Yeah. And I like winning. Of course. You yeah. Know, winning, winning feels good. But then the thing about winning is it only feels good for a little bit. There's not a single person with a Super Bowl ring on their finger who's like feeling the elation of the cameras and the ticker tape and the I'm going to Disney World, you know, five years later. They're not in that space. 
So you always have to, to continue with the football metaphor. Uh, you always have to like move the chains for every first down you get. And the only reason why that's fun is if you really find oh, someday, I'd love to write a book called for the love of the game and saying, what are the things that are worth going after just for the love of the game? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's coaching for me. So like, uh, I don't coach for money and I, I'm one of the most expensive coaches in the world. At this point, people will pay like a hundred thousand dollars or more to work with me one-on-one for a year, but I don't charge that for me. I charge that because the folks who I work with, I want their palms to sweat before we do the work. Cause it's like a sacredness and there is kind of a spiritual principle of wherever you put your cash, that's, you're going to be more invested in that space. When people invest that kind of capital, there's, you could relate to it. Like all this pressure, you know, like, Oh God, like they're paying this kind of money. I got to really deliver. And what I try to do is I try to put that aside and just like coach for the love of the game. And then that opens up a whole space where you can be improvisational. You can be creative. You can, your performance level goes up when you stop doing it to win and you do it just for the love of the game. And then you invite your clients into that as well. And there's, there's kind of a playfulness that becomes a part of the relationship. And that's when they start to really explore new parts of them and thinking in new ways that create or reveal rather opportunities that they weren't paying attention to. And that's when you get really beautiful results that are worth whatever they're paying. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off my notes and I want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about leadership and what that means to you. This was going to be my one of my questions towards the end, but I'm curious before I ask the question of how you started what you're doing and why do you think there's a need for coaching and people's lives or in, you know, leaders lives or you know, people that work at companies' lives. What does leadership mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great question. I don't know if this is going to be a great answer. Oftentimes, when I think about when I hear people talk about leadership, they're talking about a person. And I've really, in the short term, I'm a pretty, I'm a fairly young leader, by the way. My company is fairly small. There's actually, I think I lied to you earlier. I said there's like 30 of us. I think there's like 26 of us on staff. And so I I did a nice little (laughs) ego inflation (laughs) there. Uh, So it was good to catch myself there. I really love the idea of looking at leadership as in a, as like a kaleidoscope of functions that almost never exist with one person. So like, how do you, so I don't look at myself necessarily as a leader, but I look at myself as a person who catalyzes environments that create all the functions of leadership because one person can't possibly embody, you know, like, you know, John Maxwell's book, like the 21,000 whatever's of leadership. And there's no possible way one person can embody all 21 rules or laws or whatever. So that's the first idea is leadership can only exist in the context of a group of people. Uh, and, and not just like leaders and followers, but like leader has to be plural. And then I'll give a selfish definition. In fact, I was talking to my buddy, Johan. Actually, do you know Johan Kalilian? Mm, kind of recognize the name. Yeah, he's great. He's a speaker and TEDx guy, and he's, he's a coach at our firm, and he's just crushing it. He's so much fun to watch. Does he wear a giving key, maybe? I feel like I've I seen bet, him wear it. Right? I thought he wears anybody giving, who yeah. is anybody wears, wears a, a giving, giving key, key. Caitlin. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I, yeah. He, I'm sure he does. And cause he's around me and I give him away like crazy. Like this is the commercial. I love, I love ordering them in bulk. He just ordered 1000 uh, and that makes me so happy. And uh, he just gave them to so many people. If you want to order giving keys for your <laughs> corporate, for your organization, it's fun. I really, I really love it. And if we want, we can talk about the one that I'm wearing now, but that, that uh, you guys made for me, which is nice. But Johan and I were talking about Malcolm Gladwell and what does leadership look like for Malcolm? Obviously, he's a very famous writer. He wrote Tipping Point Blank, and he had a new book come out. And And Johan was noticing that he had a different tone with his book. And I mentioned how uh, a few years ago, Malcolm wrote a, an article. I can't remember if it was in The New Yorker or something, but he wrote an article about how he defined leadership, as I remember this. This might be misquoting Malcolm, but I don't think that it is. 
but he defined leadership as figuring out where people want to go and then taking them there. Ooh, I like that. I'm glad, I'm glad you do. And I, and I want to, <laughs> I want to affirm you. Except you don't like that. Except I think that leadership's like the opposite okay. of that. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're great. Horrible. Well, and I think that's probably a function, like that's a right, type. Right, so right, I don't right. need to be like dichotomistic about it. I think it also depends like leadership in what regard, like maybe if you are, if you are a life coach or, and there's someone who wants to go somewhere, you can help them go in that direction ish slash challenge them. Totally. But if you're a leader at a company and you're the one that needs to make the vision, you, I can't be like, where does my, you know, social like wholesale gal want to go? I'm going to help her go in that direction because maybe I have to be like, I'm sorry, we don't have budget to go in that direction. And then I, we have to go in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. I'll yes and that. So I like that. And uh, like if Gandhi uh, only took people where they wanted to go, like India would still be under colonial British sure. rule, right? Like so that's if, a little maybe yeah. more, you know, intense than <laughs> yeah. my wholesale yeah. example. But yes, no, that's good. Yeah. Gandhi. Yeah. Well, it's like, yes. the, uh, and that's the, that's, so there's different, so there's different models of leadership around this and there's different, and I don't think one's better than the other, although I definitely have a preference. Some people would say in business, do market research and figure out what people want and then give it to them. Um, there's a guy named, I'm like, uh, oh gosh, his last name is Schlesinger. He used to be a professor at Harvard. And that's what he essentially would teach in his business classes is like, do market research, figure out what they want and then give it to them. And then there's the kind of Steve Jobs side of it, which is people don't know what they want until you give it to them. And I tend to like to be in that space a little bit more uh, where you have this sense of what is right or beautiful or true. And then leadership is persuading people to be captured with the thing that you're captured with and to take people someplace they would never go without you because you're the one who catalyzed or awakened or planted something in their hearts. You know, like when, and this is such a, it become cliche and it's too bad, but you know, when Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Washington Memorial or Lincoln Memorial, forgive me, and, and said, I have a dream. A lot of the country didn't share that dream, but it was through him proclaiming that it provoked the conscience of a nation, even for a short time, and created some meaningful change. Like, it's not like the country wanted to go that direction. Mm. Uh, he captured a zeitgeist moment and a lot, of, a lot of stars aligned in order for him to step into that moment. Yeah. And that created the change. I like leaders who aren't just trying to figure out where people already want to go and then getting ahead of the trend so then they can capitalize on it and convert it into attention or dollars or whatever. I, I, I tend to be more enamored with those leaders who say, what do I think is true and good and right? And how and where where do people not see that? And how is that hurting them? And how can I provoke them to care about that? And, and I actually I think that's what I do with my clients like. One of my favorite clients, they're all my favorite clients. That's, in, mm -hmm. that's inauthentic to say that. But there's a guy that I really admire who I get to work with. And um, he runs a billion dollar company out of another part of the country. And he said, my whole, for, for the past season of my life, I was looking for someone to challenge me, like someone to kind of kick my ass a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he, he meant it like in a very positive way. Sure. And when I saw you speak, I knew that that's something, like that's kind of what I was looking for, mm -hmm. right? Like he, he might be able to find it someplace else. I'm not right. saying that I'm the only one, right. but that's what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. And we've been working together for years. It's been like an honor to work with someone who is more incredible than they think they are. And that's, that's the little dirty secret about a lot of people who are like ultra successful is people are incentivized to kind of kiss their ass. And so no one ever expects more from them than they're expecting from themselves. But all leaders, and Caitlin, I'm sure you, you know what this is like, like you have this sense that you can do more. You have this sense that you can, you know, you can, you're not getting all of you out. And so you need somebody to, to hold a space to say, 
Hey, I don't care about where you want to go. Can we dream a little bigger? Can we? So I have, you know, I, oftentimes I'll have conversations with clients about running for public office and, and things like that. And the point isn't for them to do that or not do that. The point is just to hold a bigger container for the possibility of their life than they're holding for themselves. And then they get to pick what they want to do with that. Just thinking about our listener in regards to this, for the few individuals that can't afford 100000 a year for yeah. your coaching services. So many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or starting companies or early in their journey or going through big times of transition or change. And how should they be thinking about this idea of coaching? How should Caitlin and I be thinking about coaching in, in our own lives kind of on this level? A couple things about that. One is there's a quote that, that's become ubiquitous in the coaching world, which is everyone needs a coach. And you would think that that would, you would if you were to guess who said that, you would think it would be a coach who said that. Uh, I certainly like that line. <laughs> it's, it's good for my business. But it's not a coach who said that. It was Eric Schmidt, who was for a while the CEO of Google. And um, yeah, they had a great coach. What was yeah, his name? Is it Bill Campbell? Yes, Bill yeah. Campbell. And there's yeah. a book about him called yeah. The Trillion Dollar Coach. Yeah, which is a great one to check out if you guys want to dig into this idea because he just for free would coach all of these. Yeah, Bezos big, and mm -hmm. I think and Zuckerberg and yeah. a lot of those guys who built Silicon Valley. Yeah, he coached jobs for a while. That's too. right. So, but everyone needs a coach. And if, if you look at all the people who are the best in the world at what they do, they have coaches, usually multiple coaches. Such a good point. Um, athletes do, artists do, entertainers do. Uh, presidents, no matter which person you voted for, how you feel about current administrations or former ones or future ones, they have multiple coaches and advisors and people like that feeding into their lives. And so I find if you, and you can, you don't have to professionalize it. So you can say coach, you can say mentor, you know, when you and I were talking before mm -hmm. you mentioned like three different mentors mm -hmm. who you're, you're talking with. And I, and I think that's a wonderful way of creating that kind of developmental culture for yourself. It's, it's shocking to me how many people, I don't mean shocking like uh, you should feel bad about yourself, but it's surprising to me um, how many people don't give themselves the gift of mentors. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't think people should sell themselves short. Now, I don't think everyone should pay a hundred grand for a coach, but I know people like the guy that I work with, he's better than me. He's one of the best coaches in the world. He's your coach? He's my coach. Uh, so I have, I have actually three coaches. This guy's named Steve Hardison. He's a, he's a really good guy and he coaches people way, 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 way more successful than I am. I had to like, email him and, and kind of beg him to like talk to me. And I reached out to two guys who wrote books about coaching that I really admired and that we use in our school that we use to teach people how to coach. And I was like, Hey, would you coach me? And both of them said, Hey, uh, you're, you're kind of doing things that are about where, where we are. You should, we can't help you, which is on the one hand is very flattering. On the other hand, it's like, this is not helpful. And both, but both of them said, Hey, you should talk to the guy who trained us. So I reached out to him and like reached out to him and reached out to him and he played hard to get. And it was great. And then, uh, and I hired him and he's, and he's as charges rates like that or more. And you pay up front, you like wire him, you know? So it's like, yeah, like I could, we're in the wrong business. Yeah. Caitlin. <laughs> I can make it, I could put a down payment on a house or I could hire this guy. Wow. Yeah. And, and look, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm happy about what's happening in my life financially. Um, and wiring a stranger, you know, over a hundred thousand no dollars. How did that feel? It is. Oh, it's a unique experience. I mean, ah! it, it's not a unique experience for other people. I think mean, some people like hundred grand is like a rounding error in their taxes. Sure. But for me, that was a big deal. And I said it to say, um, I know people who have saved up for like two or three years to hire him. And so, which isn't to say that they sh people should do that, you know, and, and actually when people work with me or if people, uh, I get into arguments sometimes with our team where with our institute that we have that trains people how to do what we do, it's pricier. It's not like a little three month thing where you, you know, pay a couple grand or whatever. And, but we teach you how to build a six figure business. And one of our people 
was advocating for us be taking credit cards and things like that. And I was like, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable with that. Like I, as a principal, not that it's wrong. I, just, I don't want people to go into debt to pay for this thing. I think that's bad. And then one of our coaches said, well, I went into debt to pay for my thing and now I'm killing it. And I'm like, okay. So we kind of went back and forth on that. But so it's not for everybody to pay that kind of but, thing. And can I just, I want to be clear and I want our listeners to be clear. The people that you coach and the people that you feel like might be in need of coaching, are they mostly business leaders or they're just random anyone that can be, be like, I work at this random position at this random company, but I have like I have bigger dreams and I don't know how to get there. Or is it like, or do you feel like you specialize in CEOs? So that's question A. Question B <laughs> is, what would you like our listeners to take away with as far as tips that you could give yeah. them? Yeah in whatever it is that they do, the range of CEOs that are listening, the range, uh, you know, to people that are entrepreneurs or people that want to start something. Like give us $10,000 worth. Just like, yeah, yeah. Well, first is uh, there are coaches at every price point. Okay. And so find- Give us the million dollar price point right now. Of of the- Of 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 your advice. Of my advice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's adorable. But for free. Um, Yeah. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He said yes for free. Uh, yeah. The, the, right the free advice is don't be afraid to radically invest in something that will actually help you. People just don't invest in their own success. Mm-hmm. They really struggle. What, what could it do for them? And what would you teach them or like other like coaches teach them? Yeah. So uh, hmm. what do people need in their lives? <laughs> yeah. To be better. Well, the thing is, that, reach their dreams. I know. Change the world. I know. So, so no pressure, but the, tell us. The lower, free. Yeah. So usually, the lower the <laughs> price point, the more you're going to do some coaching on what do people want. Okay. And I'm not. I'm not trying to be coy. Like people don't need anything. Like they're. You know. Like I never try to convince someone to hire me or mm-hmm. any of our coaches. You know. It's like if you have this sense that you were meant to do something great in the world, I, I believe that that's everybody. Like I believe that everybody has that sense and that they bury it unintentionally, you know, when they get busy or whatever, or they have heartbreak or negative experiences or whatever. And then that they can, that consumes their attention rather than listening to this part of them. But I really believe that every human being has an innate desire to do something extraordinary in the world. And what I'll call powerful relationships, we can call it coaching, we can call it mentorship, you can call it whatever you want what those powerful relationships are designed to do is to protect that and nurture it and kindle it and to throw gasoline on it. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine while I was driving here and I said, when I talk to my coach, I get to, I can be honest with him about how I want to change the world. And in casual conversation with, with most people, you say you want to change the world and they roll their eyes or they, or they, they're polite about it. And I said, I feel like when I tell Steve that I want to change the world, he's one of the few people in the world who believes me and who wants to help me mm. do that. And I think most people want to change the world. They just don't give themselves permission to to nurture that or they don't give themselves permission to certainly to say it out loud because everyone's going to gonna be polite about it. But uh, my coach is not polite. He says, okay, then. And then he he gets his phone out and he calls another one of the great greatest coaches in the world who's turning 75 and getting ready to retire and says, Hey, you should talk to this young kid who's starting this thing. I think you could be the guy you've been looking for to get all of your 40 years of coaching IP out into the world. And, and we just start making magic. Uh, and you know, you, 
there's an ancient idea that says you don't have because you don't ask. And it's amazing how we don't really ask big things of the world or of, of God or of other people. And, and I think that's what a good coach helps you, helps you do. Good coaching is where a year from now, what you think is impossible today, you call Tuesday a year from now. Oh, that's good. I like that. And that's what it does. Because I also like to say I really like, Allie, your voice. The way that you talk is like <laughs> kind of sexy. Allie, you've got a great voice. But like soothing and smart all at the same time. Caitlin has been paying attention to what you're saying, I promise. I have been, but then I got distracted when you were like, ooh, like, or whatever wow. you said. I was like, ooh, that was nice. God, Allie's voice. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> that was Allie. That was not me, but yeah. I feel like, okay. yeah, I mean, like maybe you could not sing as much and... <laughs> And like answer questions about like, uh, so Allie, if, if you were going to, if you're going to engage in a coaching relationship, what would you want to get out of coaching? And, but you have to say it like really like sensually radio voice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to ask what your coach has been challenging you on. Yeah. Like, where is he kicking the spurs in? Oh, dude, he, he's incredible. A lot of it is around what are the limiting beliefs that keep me from uh, asking for what I really want? And that's like, that's crazy. There's that. And there's, um, I'm realizing that I don't advocate for myself very well, which is ironic. I, I play small in a lot of my relationships. And so, and it's safer that way. It's easy that way. Like even when I was younger, I could get around great leaders by pretending that I was less than I really was. And great leaders really love that because then you're a learner and they'll call you humble and all this kind of stuff. But it's all kind of a game. Like diminishing You're yourself, diminishing yourself. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of that in my life. And I think one of the, that might be even one of the reasons why I got into coaching, right? Mm. Coaching is a fantastic thing where you get to, you get to be Yoda, but never Luke, you know, you get to be Merlin, but never King Arthur. You get to, you get to be the person behind the guy or the gal, but you don't have to deal with the responsibility of being the guy or the gal and go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to, it was just striking me. It's kind of like the hero's journey and there's always the guide. Right. Yeah. Every great epic narrative or story. Yep. It's like the whole Joseph Campbell thinking. Yeah. You have the hero, but then you have the guide. And it's that that Yoda figure or the, you know, Aslan the lion kind of voice. Yeah, that's right. And um, there's nothing wrong with that archetype, uh, except if you choose that archetype because you're too scared to choose another one. You know, and so a side note. Joseph Campbell has made famous, of course, the follow your bliss. And I think that's probably one of the worst pieces of advice ever. But uh, why? Because Hannibal Lecter found bliss in eating people. <laughs> Excellent example. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's like, I think, and again, I think Venice Beach is full of people who are following their bliss. And it, it just feels incredibly kind of like a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah like um, heroin is a fantastic yeah. way to follow mm -hmm. your bliss. Totally. You know, and I think probably a thoughtful person who's listening to this is thinking, well, but like true bliss is like in serving others and things like that. And I'm like, yes, of course. And if that's what Joseph meant, then that's a good thing. But mm -hmm. I actually don't think that's what he meant. I think he, he, I think he existed in an amoral universe for himself. And so, however, whatever. A what like, universe? Amoral. Like without morals. And I think that's a really, a potentially toxic ideology for, mm -hmm. for a civilization to embrace. But, um, mm -hmm. Anyway, the, uh, the See, I love our sidebars. Though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very philosophical. Very philosophical. Well, it's important, right? Because yeah, when you sure. have a whole generation of people following their bliss and they're miserable mm -hmm. because they're trying to follow their bliss like that. And that's where I would say like coaching or mentoring is designed to disrupt or to shape what you how you define your bliss. Yeah. OK, I'm going to ask a question that you might want to 
have cut out of this. Okay. And I might I feel want nervous. That. Oh, this is I be great. probably more than you yeah. will want this part cut out. So listeners, if you're hearing this, turn it up. Turn it up. Damn, I'm scared. Uh, I should mention Caitlin and I are drinking wine and Jason strategically <laughs> is not. So <laughs> maybe I, I should, I've only yeah. had one glass though. That makes me sound like an alcoholic. <laughs> 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 but I'm actually not. These two glasses are not for, well, for my, one's for my husband. It's totally for my <laughs> husband. You had said kind of like very much so in passing, like when I said, oh, like Jason, like coached me or something. And you were like, you said something along the lines of, I, I wish that I had like helped more yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember what you said, A, and B, what did you mean by that? Well, yeah. So we and were- see, I'm scared. Yeah, we we worked well. We worked together. So this is great. This is going to be a huge compliment to you, and not so much to me. Like okay. we worked together. <laughs> then you can keep it in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we worked together. What four years ago? Something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just. It's a different experience now, mm-hmm. right? So like, I feel. I don't know. It's kind of like it's kind of like being really good at geometry and then later getting into calculus mm. and wishing you could go back and give somebody who paid you to teach them geometry calculus. Mm. All right. So I think I think I feel that way about a lot of the people I served in in the earlier years of my coaching practice is mm. man, like and I, when people hire me, I this is we talked about this earlier, like being committed to growth and growing and exploring. And um, it's fun to say when someone hires me, I'm going to be a better coach at the end of the contract than at the beginning of the contract because I'm always improving. Mm-hmm. But then the, the cost of that is, is like, man, I wish. I wish I could be the coach now for you that I wasn't back then. Mm. And you get to decide if it was valuable or not. Yeah. But there's another buddy of mine who we're getting ready to do some more work with with some of his. So he's a, C, he's a COO of a company that owns like 12 companies and they're all CEOs that he's ha- now having us work with. And uh, I was oh, like... That just gave me... I just That made me feel stressed. <laughs> yeah. He's a, yeah, you're great. <laughs> you're, you're great. Uh, yes, for him, he loves that kind of stuff. He probably feels stressed too, but he like, you know pushes it down way inside yeah, yeah. doesn't deal with it. But uh, he's, he's, he's a really good guy and a good friend. And, and I coached him at the same time. And I was like, Hey, I said to him, please don't describe what my coaching is to the CEOs you're handing me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's not that anymore. Mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. that's, it's, that's what I, I feel sometimes a little probably guilty that I didn't, I wasn't able to serve you more powerfully than I did. Oh, first of all, I love you. And yeah, I you're think you're star. so awesome. But I will say something that you said really has always stuck with me. And I actually just wrote about it in my book. And I wrote, and I think I actually paraphrased slash butchered what you said, but I still put it in the book. And I said, (laughs) you said it. Um, (laughs) Hopefully it's actually what you said. You said something along the lines of when we had one of our coaching calls and I, and I was so frustrated about things that kept people or someone or something one of my employees or team members like it, they kept messing up and mm. and I was getting so frustrated all the time and you said something along the lines of do you want it to be perfect or do you want to be happy mm. I was like oh dang it and that really stuck with me and I think about that often when I'm maybe with my child or should be kind of the hours like I should be not working anymore and I should be present with my kid and kids plural and I see something on an email that I need to approve before it goes out and I'm like oh I don't like this line or I don't like this maybe the filter should be different or oh the graphic can the 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 font be different and I'm thinking of all these things but then my my boy is like mommy 
play with me, like play. And I'm yeah. like, oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Speaks in a little bit of a British accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mummy. Um, it's like, mommy, like Dick Van Dyke yeah, and Mary yeah. Poppins. Yeah, British son, don't worry about it. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? Uh, it's fine, <laughs> you know, because sometimes you have to choose being quote unquote happier or of your priorities other than making something perfect and letting things be imperfect because you have to yeah choose your priorities. And maybe that's not exactly what you're saying, but anyway. Well, I like just, how you've yeah. chosen to use it. And that sounds like something I might say. <laughs> so, so I think you should keep it. The, if anything, because I think it'll help people. I really think that one of the arts to success is managing or learning how to leverage imperfection. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the, uh, which is different than making it perfect. It's like yeah. like surfing the imperfection well, yeah. And uh, which means you get to you get to hang out with your kid, right? Yeah. Before we before we jumped into the interview, we were talking about personality types. Yes. And I actually was was doing the Instagram stalking this afternoon of you mm-hmm. at Jaggard underscore right. You know, no one's ever said that out loud, but that that, that is exactly how it okay. is. Yeah. So great account. I love all your quotes. Thanks. Um, but you have one that you said where you said something like, don't discover who you are, decide who you are. Yeah. And that in relation to, and and I love all the personality typing things. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's all super fascinating. Yeah. But I also think that that's a very interesting kind of countercultural perspective and and wondering if you could speak more to what you mean by that. And the crazy rise of astrology recently. I was yes. reading an article in the New Yorker about it. Yes. Around how the world is so uncertain and kind of topsy turvy right now that the millennial generation is desperate for something, something to anything to tell us what's happening. Yeah. And that's I have a lot of feelings about astrology. I wrote an article about this and they made me take the astrology part out. Hmm. Um, I think it's because it was, it wasn't particularly controversial. I just, I lumped astrology in with other assessments. Hmm. Um, So not like in a disrespectful way, but for whatever reason, they, they cared about taking that one out. Side note about astrology, astrology, my biggest concern with astrology isn't whether it's true or not. The origin of it was for like crops and weather and stuff, Hmm. which is cool, right? Like when the stars are a certain place, it's probably going to rain because that's how the seasons work. Huh. And then it became professionalized with like a like with like a priesthood, and then kings started using it. Then power got involved, and kings started using it. Should I, if I go to war, will I win? And of course, then the the priest or the astro, astro, astro I always say I'm the wrong astrologers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Would say uh, yes, you should go to, to war now. And of course, if they lost, then the astrologer would get executed. And this is a pretty high stakes game. Mm-hmm. And then it got turned into then it kind of evolved into this way of understanding yourself and understanding your future. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about it, and this isn't a statement of whether it's true or not, it's just, again, it's amoral. Like it's never, astrology never tells you what's right or wrong. It just, which is why I think a lot of people can use it to do all sorts of uh, ridiculous things. It's, it's of all the things that are easy to abuse, it's one of the easiest things to abuse. Mm. And it's, it's like the loaded gun of the personality assessments. And so, but, uh, and to the point earlier, if you don't know how something can be abused, you're almost certainly abusing it. And that's true of, of democracy. That's true of capitalism. That's true of any kind of hashtag movement. Mm. That's true. Uh, and certainly it's true of personality assessments. Mm. And most people don't think about the way a personality assessment can damage you. Mm. But which, Say more on that. What do you mean? Yeah. So to your point, I think, I think it's really insightful. People are like craving, and I think justifiably so. So this isn't like a, a slap or anything, but like people are craving certainty. They're craving. And I think in some ways, and we were talking earlier about uh, you were saying about technology and how it 
fragments community, right? The, the original uh, personality assessments were called community. That's how you found out who you mm. were. And the more fragmented we become. Oh, that's good. I stole that probably from Earl McManus. Wow. Probably. That might not be him, but I'm going to give okay. him credit for it. Doesn't matter who you marry, one of you is going to be more introverted than the other because introversion and extroversion only exists in comparison to other people. Mm. So, right, like, so with you and your hubs, which one of you is more introverted? Colin. But b- both of you probably come off as ease on the, for Myers Briggs, right? I don't know. So, like, so let's pretend two people both have extroversion on their Myers Briggs mm-hmm. temperament, whatever. There's still going to be one person who wants to leave sooner. And, oh, yeah. and then if you were to clone the more extroverted one and then put a person in a sea of that, even though they're both, all of them that are extroverts, one is the most introverted and they're going to be called an introvert. So like, I am not, I'm crazy. Like I am not organized. I'm not structured. I am not, I'm like the absent-minded professor. Like my office looks like a lab. I've got stuff everywhere because I'm always buying stuff thinking, how can I serve my clients, whatever. Um, but it's interesting when I go on dates with women who are less organized than me, they are like, oh, you're the organized one. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, that's actually really, it's like, I look organized because I have a staff. You're like, well, you're then a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, right. It's, 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 that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, you are the pretty one. Take that. Wait. Um, yeah. It's like, it's just interesting how we try to turn people into whatever we're not and whatever we want from them. And, that can be really disorienting. So like, it's funny at Mosaic, when I was on staff at Mosaic, uh, um, I was considered almost like a pessimist because mm-hmm. Mosaic is like a very, very serotonin rich environment, <laughs> right? It's like Hillsong style. Like, and these are all churches. If, if you don't know, like, like different churches, like different companies have different cultures mm-hmm. and Mosaic has like a, yeah, every, like the Lego movie, everything is awesome. Like <laughs> I remember watching that and I was thinking, oh, that's what it was like working at Mosaic. Like that was it. And so, wow. and, I, and I was considered and sometimes judged as being, uh, a pessimist. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a, I'm a part of this great community and Mosaic's awesome, but another awesome community in LA called Radius. And our, several times people have come up to me and like, wow, like you are like really happy. Like you're like a joyful, you're like one of the happiest people here. Wow. And that's because Radius kind of has a little bit more of a cynical edge to mm-hmm. it. And <laughs> that's where I go to church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just interesting. So like, who am I? Am I, am I, and they would like people at radius would say like, you're almost like naive, like kind of obnoxiously optimistic. So who am I? Am wow. I pessimistic or am I optimistic? And the, and the feedback I'm getting is not coming from any, it's coming from my community. It's mm-hmm. all in relation to. It's all in relation to. And mm-hmm. so once, once your personality becomes that subjective, then the question, I don't, I don't think it's resourceful to ask the question who you are. I think it's more resourceful to ask, even though that feels really good and meets some kind of need for us to feel accepted and known and seen that's a really powerful driver. But I think it's what's more powerful to say, uh, who do you want to be? Like, who do you, who would you like to be? Imagine you could take the 16 boxes of uh, Myers-Briggs or the 32 talent themes of Finder or the nine Enneagram types and just etch a sketch. Like what, what personality do you think would be most necessary in order for you to be successful in this season of your life? And I find that to be incredibly liberating and I find it to be uh, resourceful in people adapting themselves into whatever they want to become. I I just I love that because I'm it 
at Copper right now, we're doing like a little team book club reading um, a book called The Atomic Habits. Yeah. Have you read that? Yeah, it's a great book. So good. James Clear. But he he talks about how if you want to make giant change in your life, you make incremental habit change, but you do it based on identity. So if you start to think I'm an organized person, what does an organized person do? They clear the dishes from the table and put them in the dishwasher or they make their bed first thing in the morning. And, or what does a healthy person do? And so you're choosing your identity and then pairing that with habits that move you towards your goals. Yeah. And obviously it should be said asterisk, like, like, again, if you don't know how something can be abused, you're probably abusing it. I'm sure there are some kind of neural pathway. Like there are fixed parts of our personality. I just think it's way less than we think that it is. And the, the image I get in my head with personality assessments is you remember like when you were a kid and you were playing with Play-Doh and like, or like, you know, you like that, like the little kitchen with Play-Doh and you could make the things and, and you can, uh, you put the Play-Doh down and then you would have that thing that you pop on top of it and it kind of cuts away the edges. The cookie cutter. The co- yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. The cookie cutter. Like I look at your personality is the whole dough. And then the personality thing comes in and like slices the part that fits into its paradigm. And then you have to do away with the remainders, but all those remainders, that's still you. Uh, and so like, you know, you could call me a seven or you can call me a five or you can call me a one. Um, but by doing that, that's Enneagram. That's Enneagram. Yeah. But by doing that, you're implicitly saying that I'm not these other things. And then to your point, if I'm telling myself I'm not these other things, then that becomes a part of my identity. And what if I need those things in order to accomplish whatever it is I'm up to It's incredibly it's incredibly limiting. And, uh, and I get nervous about, I mean, our, this is, a, this is a, a conversation our team argues about a lot. We have a, we have people on our team who are like really into Enneagram and I like that they are. And I, and the, to the degree that it helps them feel seen and known, I'm happy about it. But like when they start saying, well, this is who I am, that is like mm-hmm. that the, the declaring who you are because of something that somebody made up a thousand years ago is a really interesting way to live a life. Mm. And it makes me very, I get, I get very nervous for people as they start boxing themselves in. Oh, that actually really speaks to me and helps me a lot because I kind of feel like doomed with my two-ness. Yeah, yeah, good, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, we'll I'm- We'll do an Enneagram episode I'm, just yeah. in case. I'm a two. Yeah. Yeah, I'm this. Yeah. And, but like, and it makes me feel doomed that yeah. I'm this. It's deterministic. Yeah, but like I don't want to be that. Yeah, like I'm I'm okay with a little bit of that, but like I don't want to be boxed in as that. So pulling this back in a little bit, I would love to ask you my final questions. What are some leadership tips and advice you would like to leave our listeners with? Gosh, I'll I'll answer the question, but it's hard to give leadership tips because leadership is so incredibly contextual. And so usually you have to, in order to give a tip, you have to broaden it. And the more broad it becomes, the less useful it becomes. Then not a tip. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a blunt. <laughs> it's a hammer or an anvil or something. And anvils are useful to hit on, but not necessarily to, to use to cut things uh, or to poke. So that's actually fun. I never thought about that. Is that where the word tip comes from? I actually just said that. I have no idea. Yeah, I like that. It's not a tip. Like a tip of a, of a knife yeah, or a, a spear. Yeah, it's on a tip. Where does the word tip come from? I'm always I I probably Google the etymology of because I I think it's like the point of something, meaning that there's a bigger thing behind it. So I'm not uh, giving you the whole broad context or idea yeah. or whatever. I'm just I would say a leader's capacity to one of the most important 
habits you need to develop is the capacity to reflect non-flatteringly, but productively. There's my tip. Oh, say that again. Yeah. So every leader needs to develop the habit. So not just a one-time thing, but the habit of reflecting non-flatteringly and productively. Oof, that's hard. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And uh, so Ed Catmull, you know who he is? He's, he was, he used, no. he used to be the president of Pixar and Disney animation. He just retired last year. Oh, he wrote, he wrote that book. Creativity Inc. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. gave that, you gave that to, 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 to me or no, Brave. To me and Brave. Well, Brave can't read. He's one. He was one. <laughs> I think, I think I gave you a copy signed by Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think it's like right there. It's in the run there somewhere. And I think maybe I was supposed to give it back to you and I didn't. So I will find it tonight <laughs> uh, and I'll give it back to you. You can keep it. The, um, the Ed's got a great quote and I'll never forget it. He said, uh, he said, he, at any given moment, he has one leadership maxim. I'm sure he has several, but this is one he was talking about. He said, uh, at any given moment, I assume that I'm radically wrong about something and I don't know what it is. Hmm. And I think that's like really powerful. So humility. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. But and I mean, it's kind of like the idea of a blind spot, right? Exactly, yes. Where it's like, I'm driving, I yes. see the road, I have the best visibility I can, but I know that there is somewhere I cannot see. That's it. Yep. He assumes that he has a blind spot, which is why he has, why he led the most successful film company in the history of cinematography. And, and he, he's got an engineering background. So he was an artist who thought like an engineer. And that's very much the way engineers think. Like, what questions are we not asking? What are we avoiding? How are we getting in our own way? Um, how we need to take this apart and put it back together again? And that's what gave Pixar the run that it had. And I think that, I think every leader listening to this, so the, the, the lazy therapist question is, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the lazy coaching questions is like, how are you getting in your own way? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean lazy in a bad way, but just like, you know, it's just like an easy question to mm-hmm. ask. And it's amazing how most people immediately have several answers. Mm-hmm. Like we all know how we get in our own way. Yeah. And then that's why it's, that's the non-reflect, that's the non-flattering part is reflecting non-flatteringly, but then making it productive. So it just doesn't turn into Mm self-loathing. It turns into, okay. And then what's your plan to do something about that? I was, I was interviewing Asia Brown. Have you met her yet? Yes, I have. We Uh, we spoke on like a panel or something together. She was the mayor of Compton. She is. We got to have her on the podcast. She's awesome. She's magical. She, so yeah, she's the youngest mayor of Compton, 31 years old when she got elected. Second female mayor. The last time they had a mayor was in the 60s, which I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, she's wonderful. And she goes, she's fun. We we were talking about uh, her strategies for for Compton and her desires for that city. And she goes, yeah, like I I come up with a plan. I I listen to the people, come up with a plan, and then I execute. And which is like... She's such a badass. God, that again gave me anxiety. I was like, I could... could never do that. Yeah. Like that's, well, that's, and it's, she's unique because usually people are going to be, so it's three functions, listening yeah. to the people, coming up with a plan and executing. Usually people are going to be good at one of those three if you're lucky. Okay, good. That makes me feel right? better. Yeah. And I feel like my guess is the execution part is one that causes the most anxiety for you, but listening to the people is uh, effortless yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like you, you just love connecting mm-hmm. with people. And she's a unique person where she's good at all three. I don't know if I'm good at any of them, but... Uh, <laughs> Or maybe I'm good at like the strategy piece. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. Like where you, she goes, I, I get criticism from people and I, and she almost reflexively turns all criticism into action plans. Wow. And I think that's really impressive. And like, that's her and her husband. Like it, it helps her and her husband and their marriage. And, and I think that's really cool. Like every time you discover some non-flattering thing, you just turn it into an action plan for growth. Wow. 
That's also so liberating in a way because then you're not stuck in whatever the negative is. Yeah. Yeah. She transforms it into movement. Mm. And the thing is, is the deepest satisfaction in life doesn't, and this is a good like bookend, the deepest satisfaction in life doesn't come from the accomplishment of the thing. It comes from the growth. And so she's constantly growing. Therefore, she's constantly deeply fulfilled with her work because she can see how she's growing. Most people, when they're, most people, when they're burnt out, uh, it's not because they're busy. It's because they're not sensing progress in what they're up to. Mm. A lack of progress will kill you 10 times more than being too busy. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Before we land the plane, I just, one of the last things I I had wanted to ask you about was this idea of intuition, Mm -hmm. because I feel like that's been something that I've always kind of prided myself in and in my ability to intuit things and read people and trust my intuition. Yeah. But I, I've heard you say to test it, not trust it. Can you just, can you talk a little bit about the role of that in, in kind of how we lead our lives and, and companies and do our work? And, and I'll, I'll admit that that is something like intuition is a, is a really interesting conversation. So what I, what I meant when I said that is it doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. Um, but there's a difference between listening to somebody and trusting somebody because how many of you ever been, and this is, this is, this is what's tricky about intuition is we don't know that it was chirping at us until after it didn't work. Mm. Right. So like you're doing your thing and then it didn't work. And then hindsight's 2020. Like I knew you know, like even Caitlin, we were talking about that situation you were mentioning earlier and like my intuition was telling me, but I didn't listen to it. But if it would have worked out, you wouldn't tell that story that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to know how valuable is a thing if you only know that it's wrong in retrospect. Mm. And that sounds, that feels a little like fortune telling to me. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to what your body is telling you or what your emotions are telling you. Um, but that quote, actually, I stole from a guy named Dan Takini, who's the one who trained me how to do what I do years ago. And, mm. he, and he's a good guy. And um, Not to be confused with Tahini, the sauce. Tahini, that's right. Very different. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah that's a great tip. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> he, um, so he, he's the one who taught me, um, don't trust your intuition, test it so that you can trust it. Right. So it's, uh, it's a little less iconoclastic than probably the, the statement implies. And what that means is if your intuition is telling you something, investigate it, but don't just implicitly go with it. Ooh, that is so good. That actually really would have helped my situation yeah. that I just yeah. have been going that, the, that I shared earlier. Yep. Um, it's a little uh, private, uh, but yeah, it, I had that gut check that something was off. And I did kind of ask people, can you check on this person? Can you check on this person? I don't trust them. But I didn't, I, I think I didn't do it as diligently or as like, a, like I, need, I needed to do a deep dive yeah. and like hire a private mm. investigator, yeah. basically. I yeah. think it, that would be the only way I would have known. Well, but that's, I guess that's actually kind of to, to the last thing we talked about. You're like putting an actionable plan to it. Yes. Rather than, I think we have intuition and sometimes we just sit with it, we ignore it, we yep. or we act on it yep. kind of recklessly. Yeah, and possibly, to, right? to test it is yeah. actually to like, okay, there's something there. Yes. Let me like, let me actually like put this out into the the real world and see what the results are. Yeah, let's explore it. And then you can, and that's, I think, how you train your intuition. Mm. Uh, most people's intuitions are in- incredibly untrained and you train it by testing it. Because mm. even when you act on it, like I think, I, you know, I'm dating somebody and I think they're cheating on me. I'm just going to break up with them. Mm. Well, you never really learn anything from that, uh, which is fine, by the way, like break up with the person. I don't care. But uh, 
you don't really get a chance to fact check it and see yeah. if this tuning fork of yours yeah. is there. And, and maybe there's different parts of your intuition, you know, or however you want to define that. And so I think testing is a wonderful way to train it. Yeah, Jason, this has been so good. Thanks for the, thanks for the conversation. I would call it a conversation. I monologued a lot. If you, if you want to, if you want me to ask you some questions, we can do that. <laughs> another, another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Episode number two. Till then, Caitlin, do you want to bring us home? Bring us oh, home. W- with what? The song again? I feel like... <laughs> I feel like we've had enough of the song. The last two times I I sang it, I was annoyed with hearing it. But do you will love the snowman? Oh, hell yes. (laughs) I could listen to that episode again and again and learn something new every time. And I think Jason might still be single. I don't know if he is, but any ladies <laughs> are you out there? Any take us? Uh, I'm so grateful for that guy. So glad that he joined us. And Yes. We love you, Jason. We love you, Jason. You're the best. And have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you guys for joining this episode of Real Good Company a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. Music from this episode is probably from... One of Caitlin's old demos. (laughs) Megan Schwindling was our producer. And thank you guys so much for joining. And always remember to stay in real Real good good company. company.